So um, I have a purpose in sharing this message. I mean, the, the, the gift that nobody wants is part of our larger Growing Through Adversity series that we began, which I mentioned had a lot to do with my own journey in 2015 when I was working through a very difficult place and just really learning how to, how to suffer and how to be weak. And so the gift that nobody wants is the gift that we're calling, I'm calling weakness. And I want to talk about that. Now, my, my goal, our goal together, is that we would leave this house of worship where the name of Jesus is loved. We would leave this more encouraged, particularly if we have any areas in our lives that we would describe as being a little bit weak or where we're experiencing defeat or a sense of our own limitation. So the goal is for us to come out stronger than when we came in. And so, you know, I was... Um, Again, I mentioned that this was a theme that became very important to me, and nobody really uh, wants to talk a lot about weakness. It's not like a great topic. Everybody can't wait to be discussing. But I remember how when you are, you know, thinking about weakness, um, you know, it brings up different images of different people. For some of us, we understand. Someone says, "What is it? What do you think it would mean to be weak? What does that mean to you?" All right. I mean, for a lot of us, it speaks of powerlessness, speaks of fatigue, speaks of lethargy, speaks of need, speaks of inadequacy, speaks of the inability to get something done. You know, weak is not a compliment. It's a pejorative. It's, it's rarely just used in a positive way. It's usually used in a way that, it, that it kind of seems sad. It can be referred to as an insult. Okay, during that time, a couple, about a year and a half, almost two years ago, I was plumbing deep into my heart. I was struggling with elements of things like the loss of my voice. My body wasn't working right. I was feeling like nerves. It was just, I had to leave the church, go on a sabbatical. It was a hard time. I felt the loss of control, a loss of sense of my identity. It was a very difficult period. A lot of things I was working through had to do with weakness and limitation. So I was praying and journaling and writing things down. I had time. I wasn't doing great, but I had time. And so I was doing what I encourage a lot of us to do when we're in a hard place. You know, write your thoughts down. Write your prayers out. Uh, go to the Psalms. Write, I was writing a psalm a day out. I was reading positive devotions in the scriptures. And then I also would read some books. And um, one of the books I came across was a very small book called Weakness is the Way by a great theologian who's, who's much advanced in years now named J.I. Packer. And in his book... He described weakness, and I want to read this to you, and then you just want you to listen, if you can, to it. He's, and then just try to relate to it. This will be a foundational piece. What is weakness? The idea from first to last is of inadequacy. We talk about physical weakness. When we say, oh, someone's physically weak, we mean that they have a lack of vigor or energy and perhaps bodily health so that one cannot you know, move furniture or tackle heavy yard jobs. So we say, physically, I'm limited, I'm weak. I don't have any strength. Might be feeling sick or ill. Personal weakness, indicating thereby that a person lacks resolution, firmness of character, dignity, the capacity to command. So they have, there's a personal weakness. They, they just won't, they don't have any real fiber. You know, don't, they're not a strong person. They're a weak person. They kind of cave under things, Right? We talk about a weak position when a person lacks needed resources and cannot move situations forward or influence events as, des as desired. Oh, they're in a weak position. They don't have any leverage. They're totally capable of being taken advantage of. Weak. Or when we talk about uh, relational weakness, when a person who should be leading and guiding fails to do so, we say there's weak parents. 
They're not, they're not, they're not taking responsibility or a weak pastor, not leading well, or a weak, a weak manager. You see, the, the idea is that someone's not stepping forward and being responsible. If you think about it this way, weakness, there are no statues built to the weak. Look, check them out. It's like you will not see it. You'll, you, we see, you know, you know, go down to AT&T, you'll see great achievers, right? Different parts of the city, conquerors, overcomers, you know, people who uh, led things and people followed them. I mean, you'll see all that stuff. But you're not going to see too many things in honor of the weak, the defeated, the non-performer, right? The shy, the timid. No, it doesn't, doesn't work that way. There are no stat- statues erected to celebrate the defeated. No statues to honor the inferior. Speaking of inferior, I remember in Packer's book, he went on to talk about uh, a Peanuts cartoon. Some of you are familiar with, with, the, with Lucy and Charlie Brown, right? And he was talking about how, uh, and by the way, Lucy, boy, in his, she's a piece of work, right? No, not, not normally known for anything resembling empathy, right? This, this, it's the exact opposite. And, and, and of course, so, she asked, so Lucy asks a gloomy-looking Charlie Brown, what, what are you worrying about? And Charlie says, well, I feel inferior. And oh, Lucy says, you shouldn't worry about that. Lots of people have that feeling. <laughs> what? Th- that they're inferior? No, Lucy replies, that you're inferior. That's what they have. They feel that way all the time. <laughs> yeah, it's a great line. And the thing about it, I was like, what's wrong with me? I really like that. That was funny to me. All right? But the idea is that I think, as Packer points out, is vintage Lucy mocking Charlie's gloomy distress and endorsing his sadly self-resigned assessment of his inferiority. But the fact is, a lot of us do struggle with our confidence, with our own sense of, of inferiority, perhaps, or at least an abiding sense of weakness in our life. There may be areas in our lives where we're ashamed of. We feel limited by them. They're hurtful. They may be unique to us, but they're real. Sometimes they're connected to a loss, something that we're losing. But this idea of weakness has to do with things that we wish we could change, and we feel kind of powerless to do it. That's what we're talking about. You know, the last couple of weeks, we've shared about how God uses limitation and weakness for good. We spent, well, actually three weeks. We spent two of those weeks, again, I know not everybody was here, but two weeks back, three weeks back, we talked for two weekends about Moses and about how he, at the time when God really was calling him to a new phase of growth in his life, to reawaken a dream in him, how he was at that point an utterly broken man who had been so shell-shocked by a defeat chapter in his life that he felt like, God, you just got, I believe in you, you're real, you're doing something amazing, I'm not your guy. You need to find somebody else. So impacted by his failure that his entire capacity to even trust God was, was distorted. Then last week we talked about Jacob, another Old Testament figure, and how he was in this fearful place in his life. And how he gets to this fearful place, because remember we talked about it, he, he thinks his brother might kill him. It's been 20 years. They're going to have a reunion of sorts. He doesn't know. He's so afraid he sends his family back because he's not sure he might take them all out. In this fearful place, he wrestles with God. Out of that place of fear, he has a new name given to him. He becomes Israel 
at that point, right? But on top of that, we're told something else, that in that wrestling match, his hip is dislocated, and all of a sudden, he begins to what? Walk for the rest of his life with a limp, and that becomes a part of his story. And it's a reminder to us that sometimes weakness is part of the deal. There's a lot of times, like Moses or Jacob, we experience things, and, they, and God's trying to work with us past our limitations. But now we turn to another figure, the one we'll sit with for the final two weeks of my sharing time, and that is the Apostle Paul. And Paul, oh, he, we want to look at a letter that he wrote to a church that he planted, a church that he had the hardest time with, primarily because this church, in contrast to other churches, he, that he had founded, did not, honestly did not seem to appreciate who he was. And so it made him feel at times like he was, he, he, he was like on the defensive, that he had to defend himself. And so, and that kind of place was not ground that Paul was comfortable on. He was comfortable defending Christ. He was comfortable getting in front of things that were very hostile. He could do that. But the idea of defending himself by trying to make himself look like somehow you should follow me. You know, I'm your leader. I've founded this church. It, he felt like that was just something that he wasn't at ease with. It didn't come as naturally for him. And you can feel it when you read his letter. And, and uh, I think what I'll have us do is, you know, go to your hand up there. You can see in 2 Corinthians 1, we can see this together. We'll kind of use this uh, beginning of the passage. It says that the Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father, from the Lord Jesus Christ. You see that? Now, I want to I look at a map just to show us that these are real places. These are geographically real places. Check this out. You can see it. It's still these places exist today. Um, 50, Corinth was a prominent city, a port city. It was um, a city that, man, I wouldn't say it was like San Francisco, but it had elements. It was sophisticated. There was elements of a, a cosmopolitan, many cultures mixing together, a lot of trade routes. I mean, this area right there, the Mediterranean Sea, the center of the world, still in many ways the center of the world. You see where Jerusalem is in relation to Corinth. Corinth was, again, 50 miles from Athens. Paul had, Paul had been sent by the church in Jerusalem with a team to plant churches. And Corinth was one of the churches that they planted. It becomes this Gentile church. Initially, it was majority a Jewish-believing uh, church, believers in Jesus, Yeshua. And then it grew. The Gentiles started to come to Jesus. And before long, Corinth becomes this Gentile-dominated church. It's non-Jewish, predominantly mixed, but majority uh, were, were from that uh, city, uh, Gentiles, Greeks. And so Paul... Paul writes them a letter. This is the second letter he writes. It's predominantly for three reasons. I know this is not going to make sense to everybody, but he has three main reasons. He says, one, he writes that second letter. We call it the second book of Corinthians. He writes it because he wants them, number one, to know that he loves them and he values their relationship. Two, he writes them to remind them to follow through on a promise they made for a giving to a fund that was designed to be a relief fund for the church in Jerusalem that had been under enormous duress. And they had made the promise. Now he's saying, you've got to follow through on your commitment. Thirdly, and the main reason he was writing this letter was because there were people who were in the church. He called them super apostles, these teachers who were coming into the church, who were saying basically that Paul is weak and unworthy of being followed. 
And so he's writing this letter predominantly as a way of defending himself from the people who were calling him a weak leader and questioning his authority. As a result, weakness becomes the dominant, if you will, theme of the letter. And again, Corinth, Corinth was, you know, the Corinthian church was his most difficult church. They really challenged him. They made him work hard. He had to work hard to keep them in line and with him, partly because they tended to, con to be, like I mentioned, so unimpressed by him. You're not that impressive. And so, you know, that brings us to this point. Because what I'm going to do right now is a little unconventional. But I'm going to read a slightly longer passage of Scripture. Now, if you have your Bible, you turn with me to 2 Corinthians 10. If you have a Bible app, go for it. Uh, if you have neither of those things, watch the scroll, because we're going to put it up on the screen, all right? As I read this through, here's what I need you to do, okay? This is important. I would like you to, the reason we're going to read this long, long passage is I'd like you to listen for Paul and how he's struggling to both simultaneously defend himself, but at the same time, he doesn't want to sound proud. Again, he's not comfortable with this terrain. He needs to make the case that these guys who are accusing him of, of not being legitimate, he's saying, look, I founded you. I, I was the founder of this church. Now, you, how, could you, how could you not respect that and honor that authority? But at the same time, he feels really awkward about saying, you need to follow me because of this and this and this. You can sense it in the word. So as we read it through, it's going to serve not only as a foundation for what I want to talk about in the minutes that we have left and have us apply, but I'm also using it as a platform for where we're going next week, listen, when we talk about the famous or the teaching that many people have often thought about a lot about called the thorn in the flesh. And we're gonna explore Paul's thorn in the flesh, but in order to get to that point, we need to understand the context. And so this piece here will at least serve a little bit of a dual purpose. So work with me, we're gonna read it together. Um, hopefully it'll make sense as we move along, but try to focus our energies in this direction, okay. So we'll start with uh, verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 10. He says, look at, and, and again, some of these passages were in the handout, but I just thought, I'm just going to read the whole passage, the whole thing. Look at the obvious facts. Those who say they belong to Christ must recognize that we belong to Christ as much as they do. You know, they, they, I may seem to be, be boasting too much about the authority given to us by the Lord, but our authority builds you up. It doesn't tear you down. I'm not abusing you. I'm not taking advantage of you. So I will not be ashamed of, for, for asserting my authority or using my leadership or making a claim for it. He says, I, I'm trying, I'm, look, I'm not trying to frighten you by my letters. Some say, oh, Paul's letters, they're demanding and forceful. But in person, there it is, he is weak. And his speeches, they're worthless. He's not a good orator. He can't communicate in an environment in Greece that prized both philosophy and the capacity for rhetoric and oration. Paul was solid. He wasn't great. That wasn't his field of training. All right? He was a gifted writer, however. He says, those people should realize that our actions when we arrive in person will be as for forceful as what we say in our letters from far away. Don't think there's going to be any incongruity here. What we write, we're going to back it up when we get there. All right? We, oh, oh, okay. Don't worry. We wouldn't dare say that we are as wonderful as these other men. Remember I told you about these false teachers who were coming in and just laying the heavy on the people and basically saying, Paul's weak. He doesn't really have anything. He's, he's soft. You know, he's unreliable. He's not strong enough. This is what they were saying. He says, 
they, we wouldn't dare say that we are as wonderful as these other men who tell you how important they are. But you know what? They're only comparing themselves with each other, using themselves as a standard of measurement. That's, that's just ignorant. We will not boast about things done outside of our area of authority. We will boast only about what has happened within the boundaries of the work that God has given us, which includes our working with you. He was a man who was cognizant that God gives us boundaries in our lives. And this is a key for leadership and life governance for all of us. What is the sphere of influence that at this point in your life God has entrusted to you? And what would it look like to faithfully honor him in the boundaries of that sphere of influence? Because that is a key to living a life that is successful in the eyes of God. Pushing forward, he says, we will boast only about what has happened within the boundaries of the work of God has given us, which includes our work with you, obviously. We're not reaching beyond these boundaries when we claim authority over you as, as if we never visited you. No, come on. We were the first ones to travel all the way to Corinth when the good news, with the good news of Christ. Don't forget, it started, this church started because we were sent here to bring you this good news. We started this. And now you're questioning whether I have any real responsibility or authority here? He said, I'm your father. I'm a founder. Nor do we boast and claim credit for work, the work someone else has done. Instead, we hope that your faith, no, our desire is that your faith will grow so that the boundaries of our work among you will, will be extended. In fact, we're hoping that it, you, your faith will grow so much that you'll end up wanting to send us into places where the message of Jesus has never gone in the same way that we were sent to you. He says, then there, was, there will be no question of our boasting about work done in someone else's territory. What is this? As the scriptures say, if you want to boast, come on now. Let's quit comparing ourselves with one another. If you want to boast, boast only about the Lord. When people commend themselves, it doesn't count for much. The important thing is, is for the Lord to commend them. Jumping, jumping to the 16th verse, and let's just keep rolling with it. Again, I say, don't think that I'm a fool. I'm going to, talk, I'm going to say something. It's going to sound silly. I don't mean it to sound this way. I would never do this. The only reason I'm about to do it is because I feel like I have to. I don't want to. Watch it. Look at how he's tacking back and forth. You're going to watch it. He's going to say, I'm, I'm, I sound like a fool, madman, I, I, but I feel like I, I need to boast. If I'm going to boast about it, I need to at least put my credentials out there. It's, you can see how uncomfortable he is with having to defend himself because he's being accused of being so weak. Look what he says. But even if you do listen to me as you would a foolish person, while I just, come on, give me a little space here while I boast a little. Now, <laughs> such boasting, I, I tell you, is not from the Lord. I, I know that's not the best way, but I'm acting like, and I'm acting a little bit silly here. I get that, or at least immature. So, but since others boast about their human achievements, I, I feel compelled. I need to do it as well. And after all, now he, he's going to go for a shot here. After all, you think you're so wise, but you enjoy putting up with fools. So I guess it shouldn't be a problem for you. You put up with it when someone enslaves you, takes everything you have, takes advantage of you, takes control of you, and slaps you in the face. I, I'm ashamed to say we've been too weak to do that. In other words, you had these hardline teachers who were coming in very authoritarian ways, and, and they were asserting themselves dramatically. Paul says, using figurative language, I mean, they're like, you see what these guys are doing to you? They're strong-arming you. They're slapping you around, and yet you take it. But me, who I come in soft, uh, trying to just make the case, you, you treat me like I'm some weakling. They're, they're saying I'm weak because I'm reasonable. And I'm trying to appeal to you in love, not manipulate you in by misusing my authority. And because of that, you, you reject me? That's what he's saying. All right? I guess then I am weak. 
But watch what follows. But whatever they dare to boast about, and I'm talking, you know, here I go again. I dare boast about it too. They say they're Hebrews. Well, guess what? So am I. They were, he's talking about the pedigree to qualify him as a teacher of the message of Jesus that went back into the Older Testament. He goes, they say, are they Israelites? You know what? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? Guess what? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I know I sound like a madman, but I'm telling you, I have served him. I don't like doing this. I hate comparing myself with other people who follow Jesus. That's the worst thing you can do. But I'm going to tell you right now, I've served him far more than they ever have. I've worked harder. I've been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number, faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes, which was the, the legal allowance. That was the height of legal allowance. You couldn't give more than that. He says, and I faced death. I mean, I've been whipped times without number. I've, been, I've, I've worked harder. I've been put in prison. I faced death again and again, five different times. The Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I've been beaten with rods, almost to a point of death. Once I was stoned with rocks, left for dead. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and day adrift at sea. That is scary. I have traveled on many long journeys. I've faced danger from river crossings and from robbers, bandits. I've faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I've faced danger in the cities, I'm telling you, in the deserts, on the seas. And I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers, but they are not. I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty, and I've gone without food. I have shivered in the cold with not enough clothing to keep me warm. And then on top of all of this, I have the daily burden, the weight of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak, he says. Who is weak? Look at that phrase there. I'm telling you. He says, who is weak? without me feeling weakness. Do you think, but I can, he basically says, I can relate to people who are in trouble. I understand what that's like. The one thing I can do is I can relate to people who are at the end of the rope because I've been there many times on behalf of Christ. And I know what it's like to feel <laughs> weak and desperate. Who is, and look at that, and who has led us astray and, 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 it, and, and I do not burn with anger. Do you understand what he's saying? He's saying, one, don't confuse, my, I do care. Yes, my, suffer, my suffering has softened me to people. That's true. Two, I'll tell you what I am angry, can get angry about real fast, is when I see false teachers leading people into spiritual places that are going to destroy them. He goes, that, he goes, makes me burn with anger. It bothers me when people get duped, tricked, manipulated, and let off course. And he's making the point, tricked into sin. It may, he says, it makes me angry. That's, a, that's his passion. He goes, so, uh, and so if I'm going to boast, I'm going to boast about the things that show how weak I am. Yeah, if I have to brag, I'll brag about the humiliations that make me more like Jesus. And you, know, and you know what? God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is worthy of eternal praise, he knows, he knows I am not lying. I am telling you the truth. That's powerful. Okay, let's take it. Let's apply it. Let's do this. Sometimes there is a fine line. I think you can see this. To walk when we feel like we're being unfairly attacked or unfairly characterized, especially around a perceived weakness in our life. Should we speak up and defend ourselves, make the case or not? This was the exact thing that Paul was working with. He couldn't... It's like, do I speak up and defend myself or do I let them just keep taking shots at me? And of course, there's a pattern with Jesus who modeled 
when he made his way to the cross, letting it be. But there's also a time when the Bible is pretty clear that there's a time to speak and there's a time to be silent, but there's also a time to speak. There's a time to make a case for ourselves and there's a time to be back off. There are times when speaking up is very appropriate. And like the Apostle Paul, we feel compelled to, to at least defend our record a little bit or at least set the record straight. You guys, you're, you're, you're mischaracterizing me. This is wrong. If I have to defend myself, and I don't want to do it, but I will. Hear me tell you this, right? But in Ecclesiastes, we're reminded there's a time to speak and a time to be silent. The key is getting it right. <laughs> Some of us, we speak when we should be silent. And others of us, we become silent when we should be speaking. Some of us have a tendency, and I was talking to someone after one of the services where he goes, I, you know, I, I just, I, there's times he goes, and I think all of us usually struggle in one, we don't get it, per, like we usually lean one way or the other. Some of us have a tendency to, when the things get hot, we back off. Others of us, when they get, we like, just like, right, we're in. And in either of those ways, a lot of times, and by the danger, of course, okay, the danger of over, is <laughs> we start speaking our mind we can say things that we might regret. We get reckless with our words. How many of us can do that? I know, all the time. Others of us, we don't wanna say anything. We feel, maybe we feel like we don't even do it that well. So we just start tucking it in. This person I was talking to says, my natural tendency is to put it in because I feel like when I say it, it doesn't come out right. I said, so you just, I just start tucking it in there. But eventually, whatever gets pushed down there, it's like a, it's like cork and water. At some point, you push, 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 push. It will come out. Sometimes people are stunned because it's like a torrent, an explosion. It's like, where did that come from? That's not you. It's been in there. Just, right? And then it explodes out. Next thing you know, wow. So others, some of us over talk, some of us under talk, some of us don't communicate. I don't know where the, I'll tell you this, where the Lord wants to help us in our weak zones. He does. Some of us, God wants to teach us how to communicate our hurts without becoming over, overly defensive and angry. Some of us will find that we, the Lord really, there is so much wisdom in God's word for living. I, there is so much wisdom relationally for the Lord's ways. The way of Jesus has so much, it's so life, has so much life in it. And there are patterns of communicating that we may have had for just modeled for us, and we've, but the Lord might want to be tweaking those things in our lives because he wants life and blessing to flow. For others of us, it might be speaking less of our mind to defend ourselves, right? Other, others of us, it might be learning how to communicate because it's important. Some of us over-talk, some of us under-talk. That's what, partly what Paul was wrestling with himself. Secondly, I just want to put this out there. I don't, I don't think we noticed it so easily right away, but Paul's suffering had made him more empathetic. And it forged in him a kind of sympathy for others who struggled in weakness and suffered. I particularly refer to that 29th verse where he says, who is weak without me feeling that weakness? A lot of times we think Paul's this hard guy. But the truth is, he was being accused of being soft. And part of the reason he is soft, he says, you know, you think these things in my life, they've made me hard. And they have. I know how to suffer for God. He goes, but the truth is, they've also created in me, a, 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 honestly, a love, a love for people who struggle with things and who are weak, and who are suffering. That matters to me. 
And I, I can't help but thinking about it. Suffer, you know, things like suffering, things like loss, limitations in our lives when we have to deal with stuff or weakness when we just don't have it. Or some of us were dealing with that as we're aging. Or we're facing things that, we, that just remind us that, man, I, I just don't have the resources other people have. Or why isn't this happening for me? You know? And, and that, listen, when, that, when we go through seasons like that, you know what's going to happen? Usually, we're either going to get, I'm going to say it, harder or softer. We won't come out the same. The adversity that we often talk about that we want to grow through, that, that we're not coming out the same. And when we're in an extended season of it, we're either going to come out, I know this has been, been said many times, we're either going to come out better or we're going to come out bitter. And I know what God wants. He wants that for all of us. There is, I, I've noticed that it tends to make people, uh, go, when we're under a hard place, when we're experiencing loss or weakness in our lives, feel like we're being on the short end of the stick, we're going to get usually edgier, meaner, harder to be with, or, or we're going to move towards, if the Lord has this way, becoming more compassionate, more tender, and uh, more sensitive to others because we understand. You see, there's, a, there's such a thing as what I call the fellowship of the wounded. And when we really understand what it's like to hurt, it's hard for us to be, to be unsympathetic to others who are hurting. It doesn't mean everybody's got the same situation. We're all different. There's something about it. And the ultimate example of the, of the leader of the band, if you will, is Jesus. Because he suffered and he was wounded for our transgressions. He is the model of how to move through things victoriously or in a way that prevails. I, I, I've, I've told myself that even though I can't stand difficult places, and I would never go back to what happened in 2015, I wouldn't if I had a choice. But I realized that where I really, the Lord was able to do some deep work in there, in the difficult place, so it will be for you. It's like that Robert... Hamilton, Robert Browning Hamilton poem. I walked a, a mile with pleasure. I walked a mile with pleasure. She chattered all the way, leaving me none the wiser with all she had to say. But I walked a mile with sorrow. Never a word said she, but all the things I learned from her as sorrow walked with me. That, there's something to that. Now, and, that, and that's why Paul would say, I can boast, I can glory in, in my limitations, my hardship, my weakness. I see them as a gift because of two reasons. One, he says, it, it makes me more empathetic. I think that's true. And he says, and the other thing is, the reason I glory in it is because it makes me more Christ-like. It teaches me where my real strength is found, not in myself. As we're going to see next week, that was one of his big problems. He had a high sense of his value. He had pride. And one of the things we'll see is that God uses things sometimes that are weak as weakness in our life as a way of binding him to us and vice versa. So we'll leave it with this last piece and we'll put it up there. It seems so obvious, but in the Christian life, listen, loved ones, let's never forget this. The spiritual strength is always connected to weakness, or at least frequently is. Remember, Paul's critics are saying, oh, you're weak, you're weak. 
And by the time Paul's done, he's going to accept the accusation. He's going to like wave it like a flag, right? He's going to start saying, ah, this is the secret sauce to my spiritual strength. Weakness. What? Weakness? Paul writes this later on. You're going to see it in 2 Corinthians 12. He says, therefore, I'll take pleasure in infirmities, reproaches, in needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. Key phrase at the back end. In his case, it was because he suffered for Christ. It could be other types of suffering, like the relational one he was having with the church at Corinth. He goes, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Whoa, what did you just say? When I am weak, then I am strong? That is like both paradoxical and counterintuitive. It's certainly countercultural because we honor the strong. But God says weakness is a gift, even though it may not look like one. Because weakness tends to bring two things if we open our lives. One, it tends to make us more open to God. We bec- we, oh, I'll put it this way, not just open. Hmm. We start casting our care in his direction. It's like, hey, the harder it is, if you do it, start, one of the gift, it starts moving us naturally towards the Lord. We're way more open than I was. And then the other thing that happens is God, in turn, casts something our way called grace. We cast our gaze towards him. He casts grace in our direction. And what that starts to happen is things start to t- transform in us. It's like stuff starts to grow. And all of a sudden, strength emerges in zones that have always been our weakness. And all of a sudden, yeah, we're wrestling still and we're struggling still. And we have our ups and downs, but we're starting to see change and we're seeing growth and we're seeing things like the Lord's faithfulness showing up in our lives. And we're, we're seeing, man, this works in my life. And all of a sudden, you know, I, I'm, I'm finding myself in a very different kind of a mindset because I'm learning how to trust him. Because what we realize is that God is capable of sustaining us transforming us and redeeming us and redeeming means and i love this one he takes the bad and brings good from it that is huge and so i'll leave it with this i think the christian life tends to flourish when we if i can say it this way and again countercultural, distrust our own um, goodness and and capacities that we say you know what I'm not myself made. I, I have limits. I have weak areas. It's okay. It's good. That is the blessed one. The, the fool, God says, has said in their heart, I don't need God. There is no God. I am my God. I was reading somebody's blog, and they, they were, because they were struggling with something that was so hard for them around their identity, that they were disowning Jesus. And like letting God go. And they were, and as I was reading, I was going, all you've done is make yourself God. I just pushed him out and I put myself on the pedestal. Now I am God. It's like, no. That's the exact opposite. Was meant not, it wasn't meant to pull you away from God. It was meant to draw you towards him. Distress your own goodness and capacities. Embrace our weaknesses and vulnerabilities. Listen. Not because they are good, but because God can bring good from them. Three, rely on God, right? Cultivate, cultivate dependence as a way of life. And I would, if I had a fourth point, I would say, and you know what? Stay optimistic and hopeful because when the Lord is with us, there is nothing ever that is truly dead. 
Because wherever God is, and I'll say this again later, wherever, wherever God isn't, there is death. But wherever God is, there is life. Now in your handout there, you'll see the prayer. The prayer that we're going to pray together. We've been praying this, just for this series, we've been writing daily prayers for the week. Lord of my weakness and God of my strength. You're both the one who is with me in my weakest places and you're also my, my guide in my strongest places. I would like you to have your way in my life. Help me to embrace hard things, things like criticism, like Paul was dealing with, limitations, weakness, things that aren't working the way we want them, things that we feel like we're losing. And yes, even the suffering places where it's hard and we're hurting and it feels bad. Help me to... to Embrace hard things in a way that causes me to lean towards you, like someone walking in the sunlight. And the warmth and the goodness of that light shine in. Please break me of my pride and my self-reliance and give me, it is, the gift of humility. Bend me like a branch, I love this, towards the sunlight of your love. Bend me like a branch, not away from you but towards you, towards the sunlight of your love. This is what we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.